Thanks for listening to the whole Testament. In this episode, Dave is going to connect the calling of Nathaniel to the stairway to heaven in Genesis and help us make sense of how we live a life that is both spiritual and physical. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like us to discuss in a future episode, send us a note at thewholetestament at gmail.com. Also, if you think there is anyone in your life who might benefit from listening to The Whole Testament, they can find us at thewholetestament.com or on Apple Music and Spotify. Good to have you with us today. We're going to look in um, the book of John, chapter 1. Jesus makes a statement here that is pretty significant. There's actually two statements there that are really significant that tie us back to the Old Testament. The whole point of what we're doing is trying to connect the new and the old together, put it back, the story back together, um, and help us to see the things. There's so many things in the New Testament that are... um, just just outside of the context of the Old Testament, you just skim right over it. You don't even realize what powerful statements are being made and powerful imagery that's being put in place uh, if you just don't have the context. And so what we're trying to do is put things back into their original context the best we can. And so we're going to look at John chapter 1, um, and we're going to read about uh, Jesus calling Nathaniel. So we're going to look down at uh, verse 43, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. I'm reading out of the ESV, John 1, 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus finds Nathanael, right? And he makes these two statements that are, uh, they just seem odd to us outside of the context of what's really going on. Um, it's interesting. Here's Nathaniel, and he's like, can anything good come of Nazareth? So we immediately see Nathaniel being like, hmm, I don't think anything, like, doesn't seem right. Jesus of Nazareth? What comes out of Nazareth? Nothing comes out of Nazareth. If you read the Old Testament, if you uh, look at the law and the prophets, right? He says, Andrew says, he's the one whom the law and the prophets have told us about. He's like, Nazareth? I don't remember much coming out of Nazareth, right? Because the one who the law and the prophets talk about doesn't come from Nazareth. He comes from from Bethlehem, right? Not Nazareth. And so Nathaniel is already alerting us to his great knowledge of the text. 
And the next two statements that Jesus make show that Jesus is very aware of the study that Nathaniel has done. And we miss it because we don't understand. So, let's look at these passages. Nathaniel said to them, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael said to him, answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. How interesting it is that Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathanael's like, bing, 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 the Messiah. You are the son of God. You are the son of Israel, the king of Israel. Because he said, I saw you under a fig tree. Seems a little crazy. If I were to walk up to you and be like, hey, I'm the king of the kings. I'm Jesus returned again. And you're like, yeah, Dave, we know where you're from. Decatur, Illinois. Town smells like dog food. Yeah, well, you know what? I saw you under the fig tree. And you'd be like, "Mm, no, not enough. But Jesus says to Nathaniel, yeah, I come from Nazareth. uh huh, And I saw you under your fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, what? You are the Messiah. See, the fig tree has so much significance. It appears all throughout the Old Testament. Micah, Hosea, 1 Kings, Joel, Habakkuk, Haggai. It's in Mark, Matthew, Revelation, Genesis, Psalms. I mean, it's all over. It's all over. In fact, in Micah 4, it talks about it's connecting Israel as a nation. Like the the blessing of the nation of Israel is based on the fig tree. Jesus makes this second statement that I wanted to look at more in depth. Jesus says, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Okay, so I'm going to stop there. Jesus says, You think that's cool? I think we misread this a lot of the time. Uh, it's like, Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And, we're like, and, and so it's like Jesus is saying, Oh, really? That's what you believe? Well, wait till you see this. But I don't think it's that way. And maybe you didn't read it that way. Maybe it's just my cynical mind that read it that way. But it's like Jesus is saying, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You get that, right? You get that uh, the fig tree thing, right? You believe because of that? Well, you think that's cool. Check this out. So Nathaniel, because Nathaniel, man, he knows his scripture, and we can tell through these. I mean, I feel like that's what's going on here. Let me let me restate this. I'm reading into the text with my own emphasis, and so I feel like the Nathaniel is like really gets the scripture because he understands the fig tree analogy. And so Jesus says, if you understand that and you believe because of that, you're going to love it when you get this next analogy. You are going to see angels ascending and descending. You will see heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Because Nathaniel, when he hears those words, heaven open and angels ascending and descending, is going to immediately be keyed in to some significant history in the nation of Israel. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. 
Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob has this dream. He's leaving. So, so the rest of this story is like, um, we kind of know it, but we really, you really don't know it because we've gotten it wrong. Um, for so many years, uh, we got this story of Jacob, and he's a deceiver, and he tricked Esau, his older brother, out of his birthright for some soup, and then he dressed up in a hairy outfit and went and stole his brother's blessing from his father, and so now, because he's done that, Esau, his brother, so mad at him that he's going to try to kill him, and so he's got to flee the country, so he's got to leave Israel the, the promised land, and he's got to flee to Haran, back to where God called Abraham from. Okay, so he's going back to the land of, the negative land, leaving the positive land, the, the promised land, that God says, this is where you're going to be. Okay, and so we've gotten this story about Jacob and Esau all wrong. If you look at Malachi, in the book of Malachi, it says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. God says that. God says, I loved Jacob, Esau, I hated. So Jacob is leaving the promised land, which is the holy place that God has set for him to be. There are some, the rabbis, when the rabbis talk about this story, the rabbis say um, that Jacob had been in Israel studying from Shem and Eber, who are these great sages that come from days of old, Shem being Noah's son and Eber being in the line of Adam. And so you've got these two guys that are like these biblical scholars that are passing down the information that God gave them to learn and study. And so Jacob, who is is in in the tents studying with Shem, his great-grandfather, Okay, and he's learning, and he's learning about the the way that he's supposed to live his life. In fact, if we look back at Jacob and Esau, um, it says, When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. That's twenty. Genesis 25, 27. Well, Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. So we always get this picture like, oh, Jacob's like cooking soup and he's hanging out in the tent. He's probably on the Great British Baking Show and he might be a little effeminate. 
and he's just kind of soft and silky, and he likes to wear nice clothes. He doesn't want to get dirty. He's a mama's boy. This is the pictures we have, right, because of this language, this translation that has been given to us. But if we look at that word while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents, this is the only time it's translated quiet. It's never translated quiet. It is wholesome, pure. He is a wholesome, pure man. Not quiet. Quiet. That's a bad translation. So, Jacob is this godly man, and it says dwelling in the tents. And there it is the, it's supposed to lead us to the understanding that he's studying. He's trying to be a godly man. He's trying to be the person he's supposed to be. That's why he wants the birthright. These are all other things. i got to get past that. Um, so you find Jacob here, and, and he's in the middle. It's amazing how many in-between spaces he is. So it's the sun is just setting. So he's in between the day and the night when he stops at this certain place that was in between on his way from the place that he was to the place he was going, from the place of the promise to the place of like great struggle. And so he's in between. In fact, some of the some of the great sages that talk about this talk about like he's in between like the spiritual, the spiritual high. Have you ever gone to like um, a, a church service or heard a song that just or or a teaching or been at a camp or a retreat and it's just been this high, powerful, significant moment that has marked you inside your life. And it's like the we we tend to call it like a mountaintop experience. That's what we're gonna see. Jacob is leaving that place where he's learning and he's just connected to God and he's not he doesn't have to struggle. He doesn't have to work for for his blessings. He doesn't have to do that. And he's going to Haran where his um father-in-law Laban is going to trick him. He's going to deceive him. He's going to do all these horrible things to him. Um, he's he's going to work for seven years to marry his daughter, Rachel. And then when it's time to marry her, they sneak in Leah and he ends up having to marry Leah. And then he has to work another seven years for Rachel. And then he has all these kids and he wants to leave and Laban won't let him. And he's like, well, I'll just pay you. And he, and he, says, we'll pay you in spotted sheep. And then Laban steals, takes all the spotted sheep so that there aren't any to give to Jacob. And then Jacob starts to have to figure out ways to get the sheep to have spotted sheep. It's, it's this whole story. You can read it in your Bible. It's in Genesis. You should read it. And so it's just trickery and struggle and his wives are fight with each other and they can't have kids and the, or one doesn't have kids and the other one has a lot of kids and then they get their handmaids involved. So just, it's just a bunch of chaos, right? It's just difficult, 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 difficult. So you've got the contrast between the hanging out in the tents, having your parents around and being able to just study and learn and have these awesome moments to the contrast of just constant struggle and chaos. And so they talk about how it's like the in-between between the spiritual high and this physical struggle of what life really looks like, okay? So the picture is, is that Jake is in between a place of spiritual blessing and he's going to a place of physical struggle. And so 
you've got that picture in your mind, and then he falls asleep in this in-between place as the sun is in-between setting and, and being up, and then there's this ladder or stairway that shows up in between heaven and earth. It's it's touching the earth and reaching up into the heaven, and the heavens are opened, and here's this ladder, and the angels of God are ascending and descending on the ladder. And Jacob wakes up. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, this is verse 16 of chapter 28, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So, Again, we look at this, and there's a contrast between the spiritual and the physical, even in the names that he uses for God. So he says, surely the Lord is in this place. I don't know if you um, have your Bible in front of you or not, but if you look, in my Bible anyway, it's a big L and then a a smaller O-R-D, but they're all capitals. And that is a clue that this is a very specific name of God. This is uh, what scholars would call the sacred tetragrammaton or grammatron. I don't know. I'm not a scholar. So I just read stuff. Um, so it is the four Hebrew letters Yod, He, Vav, He, which is um, where we would get the word Yahweh, is our way of trying to say it. Or even um, maybe you've heard Jehovah. These are uh, people's ways of trying to translate. I've even heard Yehovah. Um, the thing with the Hebrew is the, the biblical Hebrew doesn't have any vowels. It just has consonants. And so we have a yo hey vav hey, And so you have those four Hebrew letters that make up this name. Anyway, this name is like um, the power, the supernatural God, the God of wonders, the God of great power, the God that can uh, stop the sun in the sky, the God who can decimate Egypt with signs and wonders. In fact, he tells Moses, I am going to show you who I am, yod Hey vav Hey, my name, yod Hey vav Hey, because up to this point, I haven't fully displayed my power and my wonders. And so it's this ability that God has, this supernatural, um, over and above anything we could imagine power of God. Okay? So he says, this is, surely the Lord, yod Hey vav Hey, is in this place, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And he uses another name for God there, Elohim, Elohim. And Elohim, I even got my blue letter Bible here. If you don't have that, I would suggest it. It's, um, it helps you uh, see all the other times that these words are used. It's, it's really great. Every time in Genesis when it says, God created the heavens and the earth, God spoke and let their God, God, God. The God who created the physical world is Elohim. When it speaks of that, his connection with earth and humanity, so many times it's in the phrase, it's in the form of Elohim. So you, even in the two names of God, we see that separation between this heavenly, like the connection to the heavenly, the the Lord is in this place. This is none other than the house of God is that earthly connection. The Elohim is that connection to the earth. And in between, the thing that connects, the in-between, the thing that connects, the, the heavenly, the spiritual with the earth and the physical, 
is that ladder, that stairway that the angels of God are ascending and descending on. I don't know about you guys, but in my life, um, I, I often have a struggle. I'm a, I am not a pastor. I am a contractor. I do basically remodel work for a living. This is what I do. And um, so I spend my days like wrestling with creation. I will go in and take out a bathroom to, and put in another bathroom, you know, a nice new bathroom. I'll, sometimes I'll deal with rotten things that are just broken and gross that I have to take in and make, make it functional and nice again. Or we'll take a piece of dirt and put a garage in and all of a sudden you've got dirt and then now you got a garage and it's really amazing. And sometimes I really struggle with that because I'd rather be like studying my Bible. I'd rather be like hanging out with you guys and talking about things like this. And I just, there's just so much um, other things there's so many other things that I'm required to do that I don't get these these opportunities and I struggle because I want to be in the spiritual. I want to be dealing with things that matter. It's hard for me to see tiling a shower as something that matters. It, it doesn't feel like it matters, right? And so I feel the the struggle of being caught in between Jacob also felt this. He felt that struggle of being caught between the heavenly and the physical. And as we go back to our story of Nathaniel, when Jesus said, just wait until you see the angel, heaven opened and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, the heavens are going to open. And you know that ladder, you know that bridge, you know that, that staircase that connected the physical to the heavenly, the spiritual, the thing in that in-between where Jacob was caught in that in-between. You know you as you get up and you have to do your normal stuff of your life and you got to cook for your kids and you got to do carpools and you got to drive for this long commute to work and back and you got to deal with finances and all this stuff, all this physical stuff. And then you just, you're like, ah, oh, but the inside of me is dying because I feel like I'm a spiritual creature and I just want to worship God. I just want to be on the mountaintop. I don't want to have to deal with all these things. He says, you know, that, that struggle, what pulls those two together? What connects the physical with the spiritual is the son of man is Jesus. Jesus is what connects. He says, I'm going to be the one that pulls it all together, that brings meaning to the commute, that brings meaning to the tile job. If our lives are seen as the connection because Jesus has put his spirit within us and made us a holy place, we as a holy place, take the holiness with us into our haran, into our struggle, into the chaos of real life. We take the holiness with us. He is closing the gap 
between the physical and the spiritual to say, I bring these two together and you are my instrument that brings holiness into the chaos. So I'm just going to pray for us in this moment. Heavenly Father, I just pray, God, that we would be like Nathaniel, that we would see when you say these things, that you throw out these little phrases, that we would be well-versed in our scriptures well enough to know what it is you're actually saying, and that, God, you would help us. See, Nathaniel's just stick under the fig tree, contemplating Israel's in, in turmoil. The Romans are here occupying us. What are we going to do? Where is the Messiah? And all of a sudden, you show up, and you show him how his life now is going to matter, and how the chaos chaos of daily life is going to become holy because you have entered in. You have bridged the gap. And so I just pray, God, that as we go out into our lives, that whatever comes next, you would help us see that we are bringing your holiness. We are bringing the spiritual into the physical. And when I'm in that physical and I'm tearing out a moldy, gross floor under a toilet, that this is a holiness, that you are desiring holiness in this moment, that you can make this spiritual because you're all over me. Use the chaos to bring your holiness because you have smashed heaven and earth together as the bridge. And I just pray, God, that your angels would ascend and descend on each and every one of us, that you would give us your power and your glory and your holiness in the chaos. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Whole Testament. Be sure to like and subscribe if you're enjoying the show. In our next episode, Dave, Kevin, and Fred will be talking about the struggle between flesh and spirit. We discuss how we can overcome the sinful desires of the flesh and live in the spirit of God, as well as what holds us back from really finding the life God desires for His people. Now go and be the place where heaven and earth collide in the places you find yourself. We'll see you next time.